Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 241 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And we skipped over our long format episode because we were having a problem doing scheduling. So we have moved that to the next one, 242. So when you want to hear our next deep dive, which will be an interesting one. So tune in to next week, but we're going to hit some short topics this time around. We've got some short amateur radio topics and Linux and open source topics. And then we've got some topics that combine those two things together in our Linux in the ham shack segment. So, without further ado, we don't really have an intro topic for tonight unless someone has something that they didn't put in the etherpad. I'm going to assume no, since we've all been crazy busy lately. <laughs> so, let's move on to our amateur radio topics. And, Bill, this was the one topic you put in there, so I'll let you cover it. Oh, okay, cool. I don't even <laughs> remember what it was. No, just kidding. <laughs> Indonesian amateurs using IO86 for Earthquake MCOM. As radio amateurs in Indonesia respond for the second time to an earthquake in the Lombok area, uh, please take care to avoid causing QRM on their frequency, or sorry, their activities on 7.110 megahertz, that's 40 meters, and emergency activities on satellite IO86. And I, I pulled this story not only just because it's, 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 it's obviously important, uh, to get the word out as many places as possible, but uh, I thought it was interesting about the use of IO86, and I was wondering why why that satellite in particular was uh, was uh, important for them. And uh, so I looked it up on the AMSAT website, and apparently this is the uh, this is an Indonesian satellite, uh, IO-86. It's also known as LPAN A2, O-R-A-R-I. And it uh, carries an FM transponder, an APRS digipeter, and was launched back in 2015. And this one operates in a near-equatorial orbit, and it's able to cross the territory of Indonesia as much as 14 times a day. So by doing so, the satellite is expected to be able to monitor the entire land and sea of the Indonesian area. So this makes this particular satellite very, uh, very adequate for doing MCOM uh, because of the uh, the availability of the passes over top of the area, and especially in the areas that are separated by, uh, you know, unable to communicate with each other, maybe directly or ground wave or point to point uh this opens up uh, another possibility as long as you can see the sky you can uh you can definitely uh, get a message out and uh relay it across that satellite so pretty interesting story we i got the uh, original story from southgate but it's been just about everywhere they've been talking about this I even heard it on newsline last week so uh it's out there and uh yeah check it out it's uh, it's pretty interesting very cool it's interesting to see a satellite used in mcom you know response because Typically, you're more interested in ground-based stations because they're a little more stable, generally speaking, because they don't move, and satellites do. As a matter of fact, I don't know of any off the top of my head 
geosynchronous satellites actually used for amateur radio use. I'm not sure that there are any or ever were any. Not yet. Uh, that we've been talking about that one that's going to have a D-Star payload or some type of digital payload. Um, but I haven't uh, haven't heard that one actually has a home yet on a particular launch vehicle. All right. So having one that actually goes over the equator and covers the same territory at specified times or at least predictable times is a great use of ham radio technology, especially in times of disaster like in this case. Yeah. So uh, the next story we have is about an interesting amateur radio club. And I'm going to make sure I'll read this one because I'm pretty sure I put it out in a form that's just readable. So <laughs> at least I hope so. Just readable. In other words, you can just read it like a story and you don't have to parse it while you're reading. Okay. <laughs> well, sometimes Bill just cuts and pastes stuff out of Reddit and you're like, I don't know. I... <laughs> well, all right. It doesn't read like English. I don't know what this so, is. Yeah, so. Sometimes. Okay. So anyway, the next story is the UN Amateur Radio Club operation could resume soon. 4U1UN, once within the iconic UN building, was dismantled in 2010 and antennas removed in advance of extensive building renovations. But room for 4U1UN, which counts as a separate DXCC entity, was not allocated in the new building layout. UN, uh, UN staffer James Sarte, K2QI, the president of the United Nations Amateur Radio Club at UNARC, said in late July that red tape had been a red block to getting 4U1UN back on the air. Negotiations have been continuing on and off for a few years now. Sarte says that any notion of returning to staff operations from the station's former 41st floor annex is a thing of the past. New equipment was recently donated to the club that would make the station's return a reality. The transceiver, amplifier, and associated network equipment are now in place. Operation would take place from UN headquarters grounds. Sarte said, I do promise that 4U1UN will be back on the air soon. 4U1UN is the 34th most wanted DXCC entity ahead of Swains Island, Myanmar, and Yemen. Go. So there'll be a 4U1UN again at some point. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost certain I've worked them before. It was probably under my old call, though. Well, apparently they've been down for a while. Yeah. It's like a yeah. long while. Yeah. So. Yeah. The last time I remember working them was back in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, so they have been around a while. They've been gone since 2015. Well, I guess 2010. 2010, yeah. yeah. And so hopefully maybe sometime in late 2018 or early 2019, you'll be able to work them again. The 34th most wanted. I'm not sure who's keeping track of that list of the top 100 most wanted DXCC <laughs> entities, but <laughs> apparently Generally it's on club log and stuff like that. They keep track of that stuff. Yeah, very good. So check that out and uh, listen for 4U1UN back on the air at some point. Uh, the next one will be a story for the one or perhaps two Norwegian listeners we have. Uh, changes to Norway's amateur radio licenses have come about. Uh, they came into effect on August 10th, 2018. And under these new laws, 1,000 watts is permitted on the 50 to 52 megahertz primary allocation. 1,000 watts can now be used on VHF and UHF for moon bounce, EME, and meteor scatter without needing individual permission. Unlicensed persons may operate radio equipment for radio amateur activities through a group, club, or association as part of recruitment and training for the radio amateur license. Seems like that should have been a thing anyway. Uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, there were some bad news, or there there were, there was some bad news. Uh, amateur radio transmissions from uncrewed aircraft, i.e. drones and model airplanes, are now forbidden. Uh, Norway has a single class of amateur radio license. And it's thought that the single 28-question exam paper with a pass mark of 21 
to get the equivalent of a CEBT Class 1 license equal to the UK full license may be the shortest of any CEBT country. So there you go. You want to get licensed? Move to Norway. <laughs> right it on. Uh, and there's a lot of additional information on this that will be in the show notes. The show notes. The original story came from Southgate, um, but the actual statutes and the changes and the original articles all in Norwegian and a copy of the sample Norwegian test are all going to be linked in the show notes. So if you want to see how really easy it is uh, to become a Norwegian ham, you can check that out. Well, you got to be able to read the language first. Well, that's true. You do have to learn Norwegian first, I guess, or fake it somehow. It's, a, yeah. it's probably multiple choice, like all the rest of them. So if you fill in the just right hope, dots. Yeah, just hope for the best. If it can have decent. You may also have to be a Norwegian citizen. That might be the hardest part. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not actually sure about that. Because I think I probably can guess this one here. What is the smallest Brunderbenden? I bet you that's bandwidth. So you got CW, FM, SSB, or DSB. Must be CW. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to take a wild guess on that since I have smallest as a word. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't translate, apparently. Uh, Well, it has one L, so apparently it uh, it's 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 probably it's. Probably German originally, Germanic. So. And we have a comment in the chat room from Ted, W-A-0-I-R, who says, Oofda. <laughs> Oofda. <laughs> uh, my mother likes to say that. That's a Swedish thing or a Scandinavian thing in general. So, all right. So moving on from our amateur radio topics, we have some open source topics. And the first one is Elon Musk plans to open source Tesla's self-driving software. <laughs> Uh, Musk has repeatedly expressed his concerns over the future of artificial intelligence and is part of a consortium looking to, is it consortium or consortium? I always say consortium. Okay, consortium looking to ensure it is used safely and ethically. He is also acutely aware that the Tesla cloud has a huge potential for hacking and that open sourcing the code could make it more secure. The Tesla code, once licensed to manufacturers, could turn out to be the beginning of an open standard, which would drive down costs. Additionally, every firm that licensed the tech would be adding its expertise to locking it down securely, which is part of the beauty of the open source. So, Such a fluff story. It is kind of a fluff story, but there's actually uh, a bunch of downsides to the story, which are actually in the story, which I didn't include <laughs> here because if I had read the whole story, then you wouldn't have to read it yourself. But uh, that came from the Inquirer over in the UK, so you should check it out. Um, I did include, since we're talking about the downside of open source, uh, I did include a couple of stories that kind of talk about the downside of open source, um, if there really is one, which there kind of really isn't. Um, but there kind of is, too. Yeah. I also included in the show notes the uh, link to their GitHub site, so the Tesla The, the GitHub Tesla site. GitHub site? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So right now there's two source projects in there. The, uh, the I think it's, I don't remember, <laughs> the kernel <laughs> and the bootstrap or something like that. Right. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of hackers that are trying to, basically uh work on these uh these teslas in the in secondary market and kind of having to hack their way through the uh, code in the car so right. it'll be nice to have it out yeah it's probably the best option to have it out i think in the automotive fields especially where ai and self-driving cars are concerned and also in the medical fields where you're dealing with human lives uh, that code should be open sourced and there is very little open source code in the medical fields right now so yeah i don't i don't think elon wants to be in the same category as john deere and ford with their uh <laughs> the way they're trying to protect their uh their uh, intellectual their property and, yeah their ip 
to the fact where people can't even fix their own stuff. And, you know, especially with the Tesla, with the limited, limit, limited parts and limited everything else, um, you know, they almost don't even want a secondary market. Yeah. So this is good news in general because, uh, yeah, the secondary market is, is, uh, is obviously upon us on those particular vehicles. All right. So here's another story that Cheryl can do. And this is actually referring to the potentially dark side of open source. I don't think the dark side mentioned in this story is specifically open source's fault, but it is an open source project that's referenced. So it's probably worth talking about. All righty then. Yeah. An open store, uh, excuse me, open source snafu leaves patient data exposed. Researchers at cybersecurity outfit Project Insecurity discovered dozens of security bugs in the open EMR system, which is described as the most popular open source electronic health records and medical practice management solution. Many of the flaws were classified as being of high severity, leaving patient records and other sensitive information within easy reach of would-be hackers. Open EMR is used in the medical organizations around the world to manage health records and patient information as well as handle billing and administrative processes. Nick Viney, Regional Vice President for UK, Ireland, and South South Africa at McAfee, said medical medical data is valuable. Wow. Medical data (laughs) is a valuable commodity for cyber criminals. So it's crucial that vulnerabilities like this are patched quickly through uh, cooperation between the security and healthcare industries. Healthcare organizations must first and foremost recognize the value of the data they protect and therefore its appeal to cyber criminals. It's also crucial that security is built in from the outset with robust processes. Security patches have now been issued for the software to address the issues. That's probably the one nice thing about this, at least when you're talking about open source software, is that the fixes for the open source software tend to come very quickly when they are discovered. In a closed source model of this kind, first of all, you probably wouldn't even know about the vulnerability unless it actually exposed patient data. And even then, probably only if it was widely exposed. And then getting it fixed probably would have been much more difficult to accomplish. So um, I, I believe overall, you know, the open source is not really the factor here. It just happened to have, you know, happen to a company that was developing something in the open source. So there you go. And let's see. I guess I'll read the last one. Uh, wait, did I read uh, the first one? Yeah, I guess I did. Yes. Earlier, are we going to yes. argue over this? No, we're not going to argue <laughs> about it. But we don't want to exclude anyone, especially uh, That's right. I don't want to leave us out here. Yeah, okay. Right. okay, Bill, go for it. Okay, so the new Linux kernel debuts, adds more suspect NSA sourced crypto. The biggest change this time around is the omission of the Luster file system. Software popular in the high-performance computing community because it helps storage to scale. I guess that's kind of like ZFS, huh? I've never... I have not heard of Luster either, but but, uh, ZFS... I don't do HPC stuff, so that might be something specific to that. Uh, An interesting inclusion is the improved support for the SPEC-128 and the SPEC-256 encryption algorithms in in some other file systems. SPEC was developed by the United States NSA the National Security Agency, or, you know, Big Brother, or whatever you want to call them. And the security experts aren't entirely certain the NSA has told the world all it needs to know about the algorithms. Beware the algos. Some suspect the agency may be able to circumvent its use. Uh, Another notable addition to its is support for the Qualcomm 845 system on a chip. 
which promises battery life on some PCs of 24 hours plus. Also new this time around are better support for USB 3.2 and USB-C, power management updates, native Thunderbolt support on Dell hardware, and additional Spectre mitigations for ARM CPUs. As it happens, many Linux users and distributions are not yet uh, are yet to adopt uh, 4.14, so 4.18 is a worthwhile evolution, but somewhat academic for most users. And if I remember correctly, that uh, those NSA uh, source stuff actually snuck in at 4.15. So they've kind of been, uh, you know, brewing around for a little bit here in the versions. Right. They've been lurking about in the code. Yeah. And uh, and not, not removed, at least as of 4.18. So. Yeah. All right. So beware of the NSA. And, and that, comes from, uh, that comes from IT News Australia. So good source. Yes, I'm trying to trying to include new sources, trying to find new ways to get information, you know, yes. so that we're not always repeating Southgate and the ARRL, <laughs> <laughs> which is where a lot of information does come from, especially right. in the uh, ham radio world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I have a couple of things to mention in Linux in the ham shack segment. Um, these are like there's no notes on these because I didn't know how to make notes on them. So I'm just going to talk about a couple of projects because I have been GitHub dumpster diving. Oh, no. I know it's it's me this time, but I had to go somewhere for information. So there we go into <laughs> into GitHub we go. Uh, the first one is an interesting project. It's called Radioberry 2.x, and I don't know that we've ever mentioned this project before. At least I'm hoping we haven't. Don't recall it. A, yeah, it's a combination hardware and software project. It actually allows you to create an open hardware SDR cap for a Raspberry Pi. Or a hat, or a you know whatever the hell you want to call it, but it's a, it's a daughter board for the Raspberry Pi. Uh, it actually gives you the specifications and the schematics for building that. And I believe the author of this project is also either creating them himself for sale or looking to do that. So you'll be able to buy them either as a kit or as a pre-built, you know, full unit. And then, of course, it's based on the Raspberry Pi, so the code is going to be open source based. And this is for creating a fully functional SDR transceiver using this hat and a Raspberry Pi. And the project, all the details are in the project, uh, including the hardware details. So if you go to GitHub and uh, check out the link in the show notes, you'll be able to see all this stuff and there's even a YouTube video, I believe, uh, about how this is sort of put together. And there's also a blog about it. So there's lots of information out there. Uh, this is done in the Netherlands. Yep. And uh, the call sign of the person who is involved or the person who created the project is Papa Alpha 3 Golf Sierra Bravo. Johan. So, Johan. Johan. And so it looks like he's pointing to- people with questions to his mailing list over there on uh, Google Groups. Yes, that's apparently the way he discovered that it would be the easiest to get questions answered and to have discussion about the project, so he recently created that group. So uh, all of that and links to it will be in the show notes, and if you're interested in this project and want to check it out or maybe even you know build one of these things or order one, I guess if they wind up having them for sale, check that out. And the second one I'm going to talk about is something called Ham the Man, which is actually a Discord bot, and this comes to us because we have recently set up a discord server which we've mentioned in the last couple of episodes i believe and this one is supposed to have functions that work in the ham radio world like you're supposed to be able to do call sign lookups 
and and things along those lines using this bot. Uh, however, it does not work. Um, <laughs> I tried to get it set up, and it it basically crashes. I haven't bothered looking through the code yet to see what the issue is, and I know it is currently under development. Um, there have been some recent commits, so it's a you know fairly recent project. There is only one contributor, so it's just one guy putting this all together, and it is written in Python. Oh, well, so, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it should be fine. That's kind of cool. Uh, so I'm looking forward to see where this goes. If anything, I might actually take a look uh, and take a dive into the source code to see, because I, I imagine the issue is probably something simple on my part. Uh, but it does integrate with HamQTH uh, and some other open source projects to provide a bot that has um, access to ham radio information that can live on a Discord server. So it would be kind of interesting to get this up and running, and I'm going to you know, kind of keep abreast of it here and see where it goes. Um, but if you're interested in that, you can check out GitHub on Ham the Man. And let's see, I didn't actually have this tab opened up. So, uh, And the, the person it's under is this guy is totally Ben. So his name must be Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Johnson. Benjamin Johnson. There He's you got go. a BS in computer science from the University of Tennessee. All right, cool. So maybe uh, some sometime in the near future, the uh, Linux in the Hamshack Discord server will have a Ham the Man bot installed. We don't know. We'll try it. Uh, links, of course, will be in the show notes to the GitHub project, so check that out. Uh, I threw in here also a mention of a project that we talked about once before. There's a, there's a project out there called FD Log, and there is a, another project that's forked from that by the CSG group called... FD log enhanced, which is specifically for doing field day logging, but it does it in a distributed format. So you can have multiple computers connected to a single database and doing logging for uh, a collective station for FD logger. And I more or less put this in here as a placeholder so I can remember where the project is. Uh, <laughs> but that link will also be in the show notes so you can find it too. Uh, next time you want to try something Linux and open sourcey uh, related to field day logging. And then have Jeez, one more just a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, I have well this this last one did not come from GitHub. Although oh, there, there is well, it didn't come then. from GitHub. There is a GitHub link. There, there is a GitHub link to it. Right. <laughs> so I got a message on Twitter from at firewall03 who saw this project and thought it might be relevant. And so I included it in here. And it's based on a blog article from K2DLS, Kilo2. Uh, yeah, Delta Lima Sierra. Wow, total brain mess up there. Um, about a project called NOACAP, N0AACAP, and doing APRS and being a weather spotter. And the blog is about setting up your uh, APRS to do an eye gate or uh, somehow interact with the APRS system to do weather spotting. Uh, if you'd like to become an APRS weather alert station for your county, uh, consider running APRX and NOAA cap. Uh, you'll need a two-meter transceiver, a TNC, hardware or virtual. This is where Direwolf would come in if you don't have a hardware TNC. Uh, and an antenna to transmit the data feed via RF. Uh, help keep fixed and mobile stations, especially those using radios with APRS display screens, well-informed and situationally aware. I got through the hard word and screwed up the easy one. Uh, you don't have to run a high-profile digipeter. If your APRS signal is receivable by a local digipeter, you could even use an HT, a sound card interface, 
and a Raspberry Pi to assemble a low-cost station and provide this valuable local service via amateur radio. And for more information about NOAA CAP, you can check out the GitHub link we have, and we'll also have a link to K2DLS's blog. We also want to thank uh, Fire, at Firewall03 uh, for mentioning that to us on Twitter, so we could mention it to you. Yay! Yay. Feedback! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Nice. All right, well, I had a couple of things I just threw in here at the last okay. minute. Just to, just to kind of, this is like a flash kind of info of what I've, what I've been working on. Cool. So uh, I put a few things in here. Pat is one thing. We've talked about Pat in the past. That is the uh, client that gets you onto the Windlink uh, network uh, via Windmore uh, and uh, Telnet and uh, APRS and, and everything else. Um, I finally got back to playing with it. I started messing with it two weeks ago, and I've got almost everything working that I think I could possibly go over it in some detail on a video. So I want to just kind of say that I'm, I'm finally doing that. <laughs> uh, secondly, I just got added to the FT8 call group. And if you don't know what FT8 call is, apparently this is a uh, sort of an, an augmentation of using FT8 to do uh, messaging. So more of a uh, chat type application using the FT8 protocol. Uh, of course, the messages are really small. Um, but, uh, I just got added. So I just got, uh, the availability to download everything and loaded the app image, um, uh, install on here. Well, not an install, but just the app image and, uh, booted up just, uh, ran just fine. So, uh, I'll take a look at that and hopefully give you guys some feedback here in the next uh, couple of weeks on that. Who knows? Maybe another video. Also, I, I, I started revving up that LHS one V one to 1804.1. And, uh, I noticed that my image is, uh, about a, uh, about a gig bigger than the uh the one from uh from ubuntu so what i think i might do is uh pull down the 18041 uh, images directly from them and then just add in um the packages so i don't have to deal with uh uh all the leftover packages in my image so um i think i'll do that so i would like your feedback onto which i'm only going to pick two this time so i think we're going to do mate but i'm going to do one other so what other flavor besides mate do you want built? Gnome 3. Gnome 3. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking Kubuntu because it's been getting pretty high rave reviews lately. And, uh, you know, I might take a look at it myself. Um, but I'd like to hear back from uh, those in the chat room, those listening uh, to us quasi live and everything else. Send us a note back via Twitter or Facebook or, you know smoke signal anything and uh tell us what you think uh i'll probably have the images rebuilt here in the next week so uh, i'd like to hear back in the next uh well give us a couple days after pub publication then i'll uh, i'll make a choice all right well i'm gonna need your base code because i'm gonna build it for gnome 3 because that's what i use oh just download it <laughs> i'll show you how to do it super easy yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna set up the installer to be a script so and, you know to, right. to add all the packages and stuff like that so <laughs> All right. Very cool. And let's see, was that all you threw in there? Yes, that was all you threw in there. So yeah. that's a lot of stuff. I think we went through a lot of information tonight in a very short period of time. It's yes, we surprising. did very well. Yeah. Yeah. And we uh, screwed up like pretty much everywhere. Absolutely. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be the show if we didn't. Well, that's true. All right. And so don't edit it out. No, I'm not going to edit all it right. out. People can just listen to me bumble through stuff. It's okay. <laughs> and me and Bill and everyone. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> 
All right. So we'll run over to the chat room real quick. And I don't know how many people are listening to the stream. I guess I could go look at that real quick. But I know that in the chat room, we have Don, KC9ZMY, and we have uh, Ted, W-A-0-E-I-R. And I don't know of anybody else. I don't see any other uh, waving hands or anything like that. I'll see. How many people do we have? Wave, Bill. Wave. Wave. Yeah, we had nine. (laughs) We had nine people listening to us tonight. So that's very cool. They all didn't show up in the chat room, but that's okay. As long as you're listening live, excellent. You get all the little extras and hear all the mistakes, although you're probably going to hear those anyway. Um, (laughs) But you get to hear the before and after, too, which, which those of you who listen to the podcast don't get to hear. So, so we um, have six listeners currently. We have six listeners currently, but we had a maximum of nine. Yes. Yep. They so. got tired, tired of listening about the whole sandwich. Yeah, that's probably true. Sandwiches, they got stuff. I was listening to a ham radio show. <laughs> uh, ham just, radio ham. show. That's right. yeah, <laughs> we were talking about ham. <laughs> ham and cheese yeah. on pie. That's the only sandwich you should be talking about. Ooh, <laughs> yuck. White bread, mustard. <clears throat> No, rye is great, especially pumpernickel. Oh, oh I so no. love pumpernickel bread. My favorite sourdough. bread. Sourdough. <clears throat> sourdough. While we're talking about sour, we should talk about the social media roundup. <laughs> we probably should do that. <laughs> All right, we've got the social media roundup. And what a segue. Pretty good list. So yeah, let's yeah, hear it. It's a good list. So this time for Patreons, we have William Heckelman, John Spriggs, Steve Saner, Donald Gover, Robert Pitts, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, John Zaruba Jr., Samuel Vines, Steve Metcalf, Chris Beggio, and Darren King. For subscriptions, we have Steve Hepler, Jeff Zimmerman, Michael Jopling, Steve Nichols, Todd Bowers, Thor Weekman, Stephen Harp, Charlie Brown, Kevin Murray, Wayne Carpenter, Doug Redder, Bill Piotr, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Michael Aiello, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ike, Robert Yerke, Michael Connolly, and Jeremy Hall. For Facebook, we have Bob Roberts, Roberto Morales, Mike Parks, and David Gwynn. Nobody joined us on Google Plus this week. But for Twitter, we have at Terminal Dragon, at DBRunner61, at Four Color Zach, at Geek on the Loose, and at JossFat07802639. On YouTube, we have George Fish. Stuart Gilbert, Vaughn Bradley, William Hopkins, and KE5TGW. And the mailing list, we have HP Garcia and KN4GB0, or JBO, excuse me. And there were no merchandise sales this week. Nope, there were no merchandise sales this week. We did have some people pick up on the USB sticks. We finally got those in. They're at the printer, and I'm hoping they'll be done tomorrow, actually. So those will finally go out. So apologies to the folks who ordered those that is taking so long to get them. But the good news is you'll be able to get the latest version of the LHS V1 distribution on them. So that's that's probably good news, I guess. And I also put out a new coupon on the website, shop.lhspodcast.info. So if you want to get something, some of our merchandise, you can do that, and I will be putting up some new stuff because now that we've got the vinyl cutter and all that, we'll be able to do some customized merchandise, and that stuff will be showing up on the website pretty soon. There's also merchandise that's been slowly gathering dust. Yeah, here, so. yeah. So, so it'll all be put up there. Uh, so, if you want to order something, please do. It is definitely the cheapest way to get Linux and the Hamshack merchandise is through us, not through Cafe Press or any other places where you can get it. And there's a coupon out there now that'll be good through the end of this year. 
where if you spend $10 at the store or more, you can get 10% off by using the coupon code uh, SAVE10. SAVE10. So 10% off your entire order of $10 or more. So there you go. All right. And that means we're down to the end of the show. So next week, we will have our deep dive episode. It looks to be a good one. We will have at least one guest. I think we're going to have two probably. And uh, we'll let you know more about that. Uh, Do we have a Thursday coming up this one? We don't, right? You're going to be on a plane. No, that's next time. No, not this week. Yeah, we're supposed to be Thursday this last week. Uh, no, it was Thursday this week. Oh, it's Thursday this week. I get, yeah. No, we have a ball game this week. Okay, so we're not doing yeah. Thursday this week. And you're not going to be doing Thursday next week because you'll be on the right. plane. Right. Unless we decide to do it on a day that isn't Thursday and, yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> so, we'll, we'll have to. Yeah, since our weekender doesn't really get out till Saturday or Sunday, right? <laughs> Shut up, Bill. <laughs> we, we, we need to talk to Bill anyway because we're going to be gone for a week. So no, Yeah, we kind of talked yeah, that we already, last time. Yeah. Batted that around. So I think we're we're going to be cool on that. I think we just got one one episode in limbo at this point. So yeah. may or may not Which just I'll probably record that do in anyway, situ or so. not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. So we'll uh, let everybody know what's going on with that via Facebook and Discord and Twitter and all the other social media networks. So stay tuned for that and also pay attention to the website and all the information will be out there. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. And you have been listening to 241 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out.
Linux in the Ham Shack and the Linux in the Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.